Hello. Um, tonight's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is who both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thank you, Alexandra. She read that well, didn't she? She was a late addition, and she was over there practicing, and I could hear her rehearsing really well. Fantastic. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. Good to have you with us. I know there's a few visitors amongst us. Good to see you, Henry. We don't normally mention names because it embarrasses people, but I don't mind mentioning Henry. Say good day to Henry if you had a chance later on. And uh, good to have you with us too, John, and uh, others that are here as well. Let's just pray as we ask the Lord to open our hearts to what he has to say. Father, it's just been wonderful to uh, uh, be in your, in your house amongst your people today and uh, tonight, Lord, to be able to enjoy this meal together and, and to catch up with, with uh, friends again and relatives. Uh, we just bless you for the privilege that we have of being in this place and being able to enjoy being with one another and having your word, your, your, the Bible, in our own language, Lord, uh, when we know that there are so many who would just give anything to have just even one piece of Scripture. So help us, we pray, just take advantage of what you've given us and be thankful uh, and to bless your name. Lord, open our hearts and our ears, we pray, and our eyes, that we may behold marvellous things out of your word tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, uh, Pastor Darrell spoke from the passage of Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians, as you know. And it was Ephesians 5, uh, from verses 22 to 33. And he spoke about God's general plan for husbands and wives. And that in order for this amazing and very precious relationship to work as it was designed and created by God to work, there needs to be, for both husband and wife, they need to be filled with his spirit. His plan implemented means his spirit needs to be in his plan. So his spirit needs to be in you to work his plan. That's what it's all about. And uh, verse 18 of, of uh, Ephesians 5 clearly indicates this. Just look at that again, where it says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then it's this, this outworking of being filled with the Spirit has, has a huge impact and influence on our attitudes, on our behaviours, and on our desire to want to honour Christ in daily life. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't give a hoot about the things of God. 
But when he's filled me with his spirit, as you can appreciate, you got that desire. You want to please the Lord now. That's the, that's the miracle of him filling you with his spirit and causing you to be a new creation. And, 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 and the infilling of the Holy Spirit gives you that desire to want to honor him in your daily life. Not just when you come to church, but in every walk of life that you have. And in this passage of this letter to the Ephesian church, uh, Paul teaches about the relationship the relationships that God has designed and created for human beings in Christ to enjoy and to thrive in. And I know that one of these relationships will be a bit controversial, but let's just work through this. Wives are to submit to their husbands as they would to Christ. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. And slaves are to obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ. All about Christ, you see that. All these relationships are all involved with Jesus. He's the centre. He's the centre of it all. So again, it's about, it's about spirit-filled, spirit-dependent and spirit-directed living. It's how we as God's people honour God and how he desires for us to have fulfilled and purposeful lives including peace and security and harmony in the family household. Is that a description of your household tonight? Do you have that peace? Do you have that joy? Do you have that security, that harmony in your family? And if you don't, then I want you to ask the question, what's happening? Where are you, Lord, in this family? Because you know the reality is, and we live in the real world, don't we? And the reality is that so many homes, so many homes are far, very far from being harmonious or safe places to live. And yet I believe the answer lies squarely in the listening and in the obedience of what God says. If only we would listen and then do what he says we would find that probably the majority of issues that we have in our lives would go. Follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Well, let's follow him completely. Let's walk as he walks. Let's talk as he talks. Let's follow Jesus in our family relationships. So here we go. So firstly, for example, we read in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice, notice that Paul addresses children directly. Did you see that? They're part of the church. They're present in the congregation. Paul expected them to be. And it's where Paul expects them to hear his letter read to the church. He, he aims this letter directly at the kids. The same teaching is found similarly in Colossians, where Paul addresses the Colossian believers in chapter 3 and verse 20, where he says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The children Paul is speaking of here are those, and it's hard to put an age on it, but they're, but they're normally of, of young age, they're still under the care and under the authority of their parents. And they are to listen to both parents. And they're to comply with their instructions. For as Paul says in Ephesians 6, this is right. For this is right. And then he says in Colossians 3.20, this pleases the Lord when kids obey their parents. 
in the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It's the right thing to do. When children obey, when they love and respect their parents, then they're also, they also fulfill what Paul says next in verses 2 and 3, where he says this, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You probably notice here that, that Paul, when he quotes these verses, he's quoting from the Old Testament and he cites the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment found in Deuteronomy 5.16, which says, Honour your father and mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's a bit of a puzzlement because why did he say the first? You see, even though Paul calls, this, calls it the first commandment, some have said that what Paul meant was that this is the first command that children need to learn. Although it's the fifth commandment. And in our morning services, you probably know we're going through the Ten Commandments right now. I like what Warren Resby says. He makes this comment and he says this, God enriches the life of the obedient child, no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us, he says. Obedience always enriches us. And on the other hand, of course, disobedience to parents is not right. It doesn't please the Lord. And in fact, it's a symptom of things going wrong in the family unit. And the disintegration of society. And again, Paul warns us about such a thing. And he forewarns that this sort of thing is going to happen. Just read Romans 1, verses 28 to, 20, uh, 28 to and 30. But listen to what he also says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. He says this, But mark this, there will be troubled times, sorry, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. It's in there. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of, of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. And we're kind of seeing these things already, aren't we? Some of you know families and uh, situations like that. Question. Is it ever right for a child to disobey their parents? Is it ever right for a child to disobey their parents? A few whispers. Short answer. Yep. When, here's the, here's the uh, condition on that. When the parents demands, when the parent demands that their child engage in unlawful or immoral practices, <clears throat> pardon me, which are clearly against the teachings of Christ. Do you agree? Did you see the news last week? I missed a little bit of it, but there was something about it was either a grandmother or a mother. German? I think it was in Germany. Caught for prostituting her five-year-old son or grandson. Immoral. Wrong. The child had the right to, well, children, 
to say no. And other stories as well. So parents who force their children, and that happens all over the world, uh, into prostitution, wrong. And the parents or, and the children have the right, if they're at that age, and they can, to say no <clears throat> to that. <clears throat> but also no parent has the right to forbid a child to pray, to read the Bible, to worship God, or to make a profession of faith in Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 14 when he said, when Jesus saw this, when he saw the disciples holding them back and being an obstruction to the kids, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So we know that scripture backs that up. Here's another question, which is just interesting, I guess. One that's probably more, uh, I suppose, one that has a bit more realism about it for us, I guess. Um, what about a parent who forbids their child to be baptised? So the child's made a profession of faith, and the parent says, no, you're not doing that. Should that child disobey their parents? That's, to me, that's a little bit different. Um, I, I would say no in that, say, in that situation. I like what John Stott says. Maybe I agree with him or he agrees with me. <laughs> but he says this. I, I, I probably follow what he says. For he says that the child ought not to defy their parents in this case. Though baptism, we know, is a command of Christ. We know that. But it's best if a child in that situation, still at that age, still under the jurisdiction, family rule, house, etc., under the parent's authority, then it's best for that child to pray, trust God, and if necessary, to wait until that age when you are of that legal age where you can uh, therefore be independent of your parent's jurisdiction. Now, I wondered what age that was, and I've heard different ones, so I'll put something up there. Stuart, there might be another one there, mate. Just something, I've, a quote that I got from the net there from legal aid. There it is, quickly, if you can read that. In Queensland, you're expected to live with your parents or legal guardians until you are 18. But there's no law that says you must stay at home until then. Once you turn 16, you won't normally be forced to return home by the authorities as long as you've got a safe place to go and you can financially support yourself. So this sort of stuff's on the net. I thought it was 15. Some had said 15, but there it is. It's 18 um, or 16. But hopefully you don't have to start worrying too much about that. And isn't it sad if we actually have people who are saying, can't wait till I'm at that age and I'm out of here. Something's wrong in that family unit when that, when that attitude's there. But also, interestingly, in this letter, Paul seems to give no clear single answer about that question about when a child should leave. <clears throat> but there certainly, are, there certainly are cultural differences to consider. One extreme, for example, was in Paul's day... In Paul's day, and in Roman culture, the father had the authority over the child's whole life. As long as that father lived, that child was under the authority of the father. Doesn't matter if the child grew up, had kids, married, had children themselves. If the father was alive, the father still ruled the roost, as it were. So a Roman son, for example, never came of age. He never had that opportunity to become an independent man while his father lived. 
bit extreme, isn't it? And there are similar customs today in other cultures. I think probably we in the West are a bit more rebellious about that. But you know, what is important, what is important though, and I've already touched on this, is that no matter what age one becomes when there is no longer that obligation to obey parents, listen to this, it doesn't forfeit our obligation to honour our parents, as Paul says in verses 2 and 3. Honour your father and mother. What does that mean? Well, it means that you love and you respect your parents. You don't neglect them. You pray for them. Listen, to honour your mother and father doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with everything that they do or say. It doesn't mean that you will be able to uh, comply with their requests or their demands. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you still need to honour them. And listen, it may even mean that you have to forgive them. God will prompt you to forgive your parents if there is a need to be forgiven, if forgiveness is needed there. But as our parents, we do need to honour them as the Lord commands and I believe will also enable us to do so. No matter how hurtful that family situation may have been. I remember listening to a tape, I've got it at home, uh, sorry, it's a DVD, and it's a testimony of this young girl um, who grew up in an abusive and violent home <clears throat> where her father, in a drunkard stupor, would beat her and her mother, and it came to a point one day where he beat her so bad that the mother, was, the mother died, and the father ended up by doing life in prison. The daughter, understandably, it wasn't right, but understandably, she hated her father for a long, long time. He tried to reach out to her with letters. She ignored them and wanted nothing to do with him. She became a Christian, or if she was, she was growing in her faith. And she refused any contact with him for some years. But God kept just touching her, ministering to her, doing that healing work that only he can do. He can heal all kinds of hurts, you wouldn't believe. And he did that with her. To the point where she then reached out to him. She went, finally, she, I think she wrote letters, but then she actually did go to the prison itself and see him. She visited him. And she was finally able to do that. And as she did that, she was able, over a period of time, to actually forgive her father for what he had done. Forgiveness brings release and freedom. And it brought such a release in her life. And she ended up with a powerful singing ministry, from what I remember. See, through honouring God, she was able to honour her mum and dad, her father, sorry. Through honouring God, she was able to honour her father. God can do things like that. He wants to heal us, release us, set us free. You know, next Paul talks to the fathers in verse 4 and he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then he's led to the Colossians. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And Paul, you notice here that he primarily aims at the fathers. He doesn't talk about the mothers so much, but he primarily addresses the fathers because, you see, they are the ones appointed by God to be the head of the family, to be the head of their wives and families. However, it does not, certainly does not exclude mothers from this instruction as well. 
So it's really to both parents. So you could read it this way. So parents do not provoke. In other words, do not incite their kids. Don't incite your kids to anger. Don't keep at them to the point where you discourage them, where you break their heart, where you break their spirit. And we've got to be careful as parents that we don't do that because kids can get to that point. How many times have you heard a kid say, when, when the parent talks the child or calls them and the kid says, what have I done now? What have I done this time? Have you seen that? Have you heard that? Maybe you have been in that situation yourself. Or what's going on where the kid turns around and says, what have I done now? Do you see what I mean? What's been going on in that family? So don't provoke, don't incite your kids to anger or discouragement or break their heart or their spirit because this can actually happen. All right, here's a few points on how to discourage your kids. Here we go. Yeah, always blaming, never praising, saying one thing, this is parents to the kids, saying one thing and doing another, being inconsistent and unfair in discipline, showing favouritism in the home, making promises and not keeping them, Endless petty corrections. I wonder if you can identify with any of those. I'm sure you can. Boy, we could talk about some of those things, couldn't we? Endless petty corrections. I suppose that one stood out to me because I watched a mother one day. Rosemary, I went to a hospital in a waiting room and this mother was constantly picking at her kid. And she was doing it in such a way, it was loud, she couldn't care less who was listening. So everybody got to see her parenting skills, not. Because she was at this little kid. And she, the little girl was just sitting there and she was probably doing a few bits and pieces. But for, in, in the end, for goodness sake, ignore it. You know? But it was endly, endless, petty corrections and other stuff. There you go, have a look at that. And of course, that's how to discourage a child. Well, flip it around if you want to encourage your child. Do the opposite. Okay, finally, uh, the Apostle Paul then, in verses 5 to 9, he addresses the relationships between slaves and their masters. Masters to slaves, slaves to masters. This is an incredible... Uh, when I read through this, I couldn't believe this particular figure. But in Paul's day, and I read this from a couple of different uh, researchers, a couple of different uh, uh, people, uh, historians. One writer actually said that in Paul's day, it was computed that the Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire, which I suppose is a big empire, there were 60 million slaves. 60 million? Really? Yeah, apparently so. And then he goes on, he says this, in Paul's day, a kind of terrible idleness had fallen on the citizens of Rome. Oh yeah, 60 million slaves. So what did they do? Well, well nothing. A terrible idleness. Do you know what happens when there's idleness in a society? No wonder there was the fall of the Roman Empire. Degradation. Fall on the citizens of Rome. You see, 
Rome at that time was the mistress or considered herself to be the mistress of the world. Therefore, it was beneath the dignity of a Roman citizen to work. So a Roman citizen, you're a Roman citizen, well, you don't work. You have a slave to do all of those jobs for you. Slaves were about one-third of the total population, one-third of the population, and they constituted pretty much the whole of the entire workforce. Interesting, isn't it? You see, even doctors and teachers were slaves back then. The closest friends of emperors, their secretaries, all these different roles, all these different professions were slaves that did all this stuff. Some slaves had quite a remarkable life. They had a very good life where there was the deepest loyalty and affection between master and slave. Some. The majority, no. Most did not enjoy any of that kind of stuff or favour at all. In Roman law, the slave was not a person, but it was a thing. A living tool, that's all the slave was. Slaves had no rights and the, the, they, the slaves were at the absolute disposal of the master who could legally do what he or she liked with them. Slaves were often subject, subjected to terrible atrocities and when they had lost their usefulness in society, or sorry, their, their usefulness to that particular master or whatever, just discarded, killed off like a sick dog. That's about the value that they had. However, the gospel also did its work. The gospel was spreading around the Roman Empire. The gospel was spreading through people like the Apostle Paul and others, changing lives. And apparently there was a lot of slaves became Christians at that time. And no doubt there were masters who also became Christians. Most slaves, though, as I say, were, uh, they, were, they were employed by pagans. It was a pagan employment. Uh, some would have had Christian masters. Omnissimus, for example, Omnissimus, uh, that letter to Onesimus. Have I got the word right? There you go, that's his name. For example, he was a slave to Philemon. And to whom Paul wrote, asking that Omnissimus be accepted back into, uh, in, back into uh, Philemon's care. So the letter is to a Philemon as a brother in Christ. So we know for a fact that there was a Christian master and a Christian slave there. And we could spend a lot of time, and I know there's a lot of, a lot of talk, a lot of you know, emotive thinking about uh, the rights and the wrongs of slavery. And time certainly does not permit me to do that here. But I do like what Warren Wearsby says. I think he sort of hits some, some important points here. And he says this. He says, Nowhere in the New Testament is slavery per se attacked or condemned. It's interesting, isn't it? Though the overall thrust of the gospel is against slavery, Paul's ministry was not to overthrow the Roman government or any of its institutions, but it was to preach the gospel and win the lost to Christ. And certainly we know that the gospel as it spread to all these different places certainly had a lot to do with the abolition of slavery in the end. But it's interesting, Paul got stuck into the gospel and what he believed was his mission was to preach the gospel. It's what the church needs to do today. Never lose its focus, never take its eye off the ball of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the work through the gospel message. 
The fact also is that becoming a believer in Christ, this is interesting, becoming a believer in Christ does not automatically guarantee that we will escape from our circumstances. But in Christ, he gives us the power and the courage to overcome and to endure our circumstances. I love what Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33, where he says, In this world you will have, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation. In the world, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, but then take courage, I have overcome the world. That's slavery. So a little bit of background there. But, this, but out of all this, certainly this passage has application to the Christian employee and employer. There are principles that come out of this whole slavery thing that we need to apply today. So on the light of verses 5 to 9, just let me br- briefly share with you some key points. Remembering what I said earlier about your relationship with Christ is about being spirit-filled. It's about being spirit-dependent and it's about being spirit-directed in your living and also in your work life. And that means where you're, where you're employed. So therefore, a few things to take home with you. Honour and respect and pray for your boss. Be honest in your employment. Obey the workplace. Have these slides up there? Thanks, guys. Are they there? Good, thank you. I'm seeing seeing the countdown there. I'm ignoring it for a minute. Let me get through this. Where am I up to? Obey the workplace rules. For example, if you have an hour for lunch, then take the hour. Don't take an hour plus. Be honest. Be Be integral with what you do. Give your best at work. Devote your full attention and your energy to the job at hand. And be careful... Be careful with how much private phone calls that you make. Be careful with the private social media, how much of that you're doing in the workplace. Be careful of the mobile phone that you're not sending texts and emails and doing private stuff when you are being paid by your employer to be there and to work those hours. Do it. Honour him. Do that stuff out of hours. Do it during your lunch break. Don't do it during your boss's work hours. Okay, that's being honest and honouring your boss. Um, The best way to be a witness for Christ, even this one on the job, is to do a decent day's work. Get your head down. Work hard in your job. If you're passionate about sharing your faith, then let your actions speak louder than your words. And if you get an opportunity, and I was talking to a young man just this week who, who loves to share his faith, but he does it during lunch hour. He does it after work, not during the minute, not during the work. Don't tap your, your mate on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he's working or she's working. You don't do that. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a common sense. The spirit-filled employee won't just put on a show when the boss is watching. But the spirit-filled employee will be consistent whether the boss is there or not. Because in verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians, Paul says this, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. There's the trick. There's the secret, if you like. There it is. That's the key. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, not your boss. Serve the Lord. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. The secret of good workmanship, says William Barclay, is 
Do it for the Lord, whatever it is. Don't do the, if the mundane job is there and you, the boss says, I want you to sweep this or do that, then do it for Jesus. Don't do it for him. And you'll be surprised how much that will become a joy to do that thing because you're serving the Lord. For the spirit-filled employer, let me keep moving on quickly. The employer or the boss must treat his or her employees in the same way that he or she would like to be treated. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? God is the ultimate boss to whom we all must give account. There's no favoritism with God, so the boss is, is commanded, don't have favoritism. God has no teacher's pets and neither should, neither should the boss. And then finally, whereas he says this, both servant and master are serving the Lord and seeking to please him. In this way, they're able to work together for the glory of God. When it is spirit-filled, spirit-dependent and spirit-directed living in the workplace, then both servant and master are serving the Lord, seeking to please him. And in this way, they are able to work together for the glory of God. And I just want to say, what a great goal that we all should, be, we should all go after with all of our hearts. Amen? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the interesting aspects to it, but thank you, uh, Lord, for the, the life-changing reality of putting your word into practice in our lives. So teach us, show us, help us, we pray, to know how to do that. And I just bless you for all of our dear brothers and sisters here tonight and uh, pray that, uh, Lord, you will help us to be spirit-filled, spirit-dependent and spirit-directed in all of our relationships and all of our acquaintances, Lord, then fill us with your spirit. Set us loose, we pray, in your name amongst the people that you want to reach and love for your dear name's sake. We pray this in your precious name. And everybody said amen to that. Thank you. Bless you, folks.